Hello, I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soschnick and Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Noby-Williams. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And we will talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we are pleased to spend the hour with the man behind Los Angeles getting the 2028 Summer Olympic Games. He is L.A. Bid Chairman Casey Wasserman. This is a win, uh, no matter how you cut it. We just did something that, you know, American cities have done a very uh, uh, poor job of, which is winning bids for Olympic Games. We will have more of our interview with L.A. Bid Chairman Casey Wasserman in a few minutes. But first, let's take a look at the top business sports stories of the week. And let's start with Neymar. My goodness, $262 million to make this happen to leave Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, that's just the transfer fee. Let's really take the whole total. It's 260 just to be able to sign them. It's like a PSL for PSG, right? You have to pay money for the right to pay money. And it's twice as big as the, the record one previously. They are making a statement. The Qataris paid $81 million for the team when they purchased. That's 81 for the team and now 500 plus million for one player. And it's, cra- it's not crazy to ask the question, is he worth it? I mean, this is a team that has gotten close to, to Champions League finals before, hasn't made it yet, hasn't made it yet. They're obviously willing to spend a lot of money, and Neymar is clearly the, the horse that they're willing to hitch their wagon to. Barcelona, Real Madrid, the biggest clump- companies and, and clubs in the world. This is now a brand that is going to be exported around the world because they have this one guy. He is that good, he is that well-known, and he is that popular. Think about the fan base he brings from Brazil, his home country. I mean, the place went crazy when he went a They like soccer medal. there. Yeah. They do, I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 25 years old and you have all of that money. What would you do with 200 plus million dollars? I'd start a podcast and I'd hire Michael Barr and Evan Novi williams Anyway, let's move on to uh, Adidas or Adidas known in the U.S. The Major League Soccer has extended the U.S. apparel deal amid red-hot soccer growth. I mean, we know Adidas likes soccer. That's not a surprise. I've heard that, too. They're, they're big in Germany. <laughs> yeah, we know they like soccer. The key here is that they are investing in American soccer, this U.S. league. They see real growth and possibilities in MLS. People are still skeptical about MLS. Oh, it's a niche. It's minor. It's not one of the big four. That's okay, but they're only 20 years old. Where was the NBA after year 20? Where was the NFL after year 20? MLS is doing pretty well. Those franchise values, you want to buy a team now? Between 150 and $200 million, unless you're David Beckham. But that is some real growth for this league, and Adidas wants to be part of it. MLS has a number of weird quirks that make it look more like traditional U.S. sports leagues than it does European soccer leagues. And one of them is this idea that Adidas can plop down a huge lump sum of money in this case, somewhere between 500 and 700 million dollars, and they can get the entire league. Whereas in Europe, Adidas has to go after clubs individually, like Bayern Munich and, and Manchester United. Here, they can say, "Here's a lot of money. Put every team in Adidas jerseys." And see, that's something Adidas or Adidas, wherever you are, they know that soccer is huge, and they want in right now. And eventually, people in the U.S. will catch on, and it will be the fifth food group in sports here in the U.S. Get an early, prices lower. And let's talk about Beyonce. She is said to be interested in the NBA's Rockets ownership stake. Oh, my girl even sang about it. Houston Rocket. Oh, Beyonce. We're talking a lot of money. Jay-Z and Beyonce, you talk about the mega couple. Power couple and... 
let's forget here. Let's not forget. She's from Houston. This makes sense. She is a Houston native. She has been known to show up courtside in her concert. She wears rocket jerseys. She would bring a lot of sizzle. Michael, let me tell you, though, days after breaking this story, my Twitter notifications are still coming in. People around the world want to talk about her. They are really excited about the possibility of Beyonce being involved with this franchise. One of the things we're seeing on Twitter, which I think is going to be the kind of thing that she can sell herself to a bid group with, is that people are saying things like, oh, now I'll be a Rockets fan. I don't really like basketball, but if Beyonce's involved, maybe I will be as well. That's the kind of thing that owners want to see. If Beyonce can get a small stake of this team and bring a lot of her fans to basketball, ones that don't really watch basketball already, that's a huge success. It's not new. Justin Timberlake has a piece of the Grizzlies. Uh, Jennifer Lopez has a piece of the Miami Dolphins. Venus and Serena Williams as well. So it's not new, but this is Beyonce. And let me tell you, one thing I've learned from this is that she has got one passionate and loyal fan base. I heard all the single ladies might be uh, watching I this. see what you did there. But one thing about <laughs> this, though, is that it brings a whole new audience to the NBA. Well, yes, but she would. let's be clear, she's not going to buy the whole team. Right. Beyonce right. doesn't have $2 billion. Even Beyonce and Jay-Z, her husband, don't have $2 billion to plunk down. This will be one of those things, perhaps, where someone's going to buy the franchise and decide it's nice to have a local celebrity sizzle involved and sell off. Like Jay-Z had less than 1% of the Brooklyn Nets, but it was really portrayed as Jay-Z owns the Nets and he helped them with their marketing, their color scheme. And he could sing about it. And he could sing about it. And <laughs> Something tells me that Beyonce, if she invests, will have something to do with the in-arena entertainment as well. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Noby-Williams. Scott, it's never too early to look ahead, but that's what we're going to do right now. For the third time in its history, the city of Los Angeles will host the Olympic Games. Yep, that's right, Michael. First in 32, then 84, and now 2028, and that's after it's officially approved next month, which everybody thinks it will be. Casey Wasserman was instrumental in making it all happen. He is LA's bid chairman. Casey, welcome to the show. And you know what they say, Casey, in deal-making, if both sides are unhappy, it's probably a good deal. And there was certainly some compromise here. How happy are you with the outcome? Uh, look, it's, uh, this is a win, uh, no matter how you cut it. We just did something that you know American cities have done a very uh, a poor job of, which is winning bids for Olympic Games. And to win a bid for Summer Games has been done once in the last 100 years. And so we're proud to be able to say the Olympic Games are coming to Los Angeles. We're proud to uh, have gotten support for the initiatives that were important to the mayor. And uh, the people of L.A. should feel really good about all of it. What was it about the previous bids that was not done well? Why hasn't the U.S. succeeded? Yeah, look, I, I think it's not uh, an indictment of of the bids or the cities or the leadership. Both Chicago and New York had extraordinary bids, extraordinary plans, great leadership, great teams. You know, a lot of it's luck, time and place. Uh, the USOC deserves a ton of credit for having done lots to repair the relationship with the IOC and become sort of a better member of the community. And, you know, all those things together, plus, you know, uh, a place like L.A. where you don't have to build venues where your where your budget delivers almost absolute certainty uh, and stability, and you can have the two sort of luxuries that no bids ever have or, or cities ever have, which is time and money. Uh, that's a unique opportunity and a new and unique place to be telling a story from at a time when that story that's the story that needs to be told. You worked very hard to get the Olympics, but is there some risk for Los Angeles, like some costs? Uh, look, our budget has uh, half a billion dollars of contingency, which I think is pretty unique. Uh, it's been audited both by KPMG and the, uh, the California um, State Legislative Office, so 
Two independent third parties have, have both looked at and validated our budget, and that was for 24. Uh, we added hundreds of millions of dollars to the revenue uh, and cost reduction uh, contractually from the IOC for the 28 plan, and our costs won't go up except you know modestly by inflation around the edges because we don't have to build anything. So. Uh, is there risk? It would be foolish to say there's absolutely zero risk because nothing in life has zero risk. But this is as de-risked a plan for as big an opportunity as, as I've seen. Would you say, Casey, that the infrastructure management is, is one of the main deals this works? Like you said, nothing has to be built. This is not contingent on a big stadium. You've got that already. you got a new one coming online. Everything's ready to roll, right? Yeah, look, I, I think there's there's a couple of things that make L.A. really unique. The first is you know, it's an incredible sports market. Multiple NBA teams, multiple baseball teams, multiple NFL teams, multiple basketball teams. You know, so the sporting infrastructure here is a large uh, and 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 capable and at the highest level. And then the truth is, our our secret advantage is USC and UCLA. If you take any city in the world, there's no city that has two universities that operate with that quality, with that number of students, with those level of athletic programs that are 10 miles from each other. Uh, and you take all of that and put it together, and uh, frankly, it's uh, probably an Olympic bid like no other. Your thoughts, because part of the agreement, the IOC will have to give you at least $1.8 billion to the Los Angeles Organizing Committee. Can you give us your thoughts about that? Yeah, look, and it's going to be much more than that. Uh, and, and they've been clear about how we're going to get there, and it's it's uh, an obligation on their part, and we're excited about that because... Look, it's uh, uh, it's it's no different than you know to use uh, American sports analogy. You know, the NFL distributes, I think, well over on average, fifty percent of a team's revenue is distributed from the central fund. And so, in our case, of a five point three billion dollar budget, we'll get in excess of two point one billion dollars from the IOC, uh, and that allows us a really strong base from which to leverage and operate. And and local sponsorships and ticket sales in in LA will be robust. Uh, this is obviously. In, in L.A. and the United States, the most valuable sports market in the world, and we intend to take full advantage of that. We are chatting with Casey Wasserman, head of the L.A. Bid Committee. Now, have we changed the name officially, Casey? Is it now L.A. 2028? A- everything. Uh, social media <laughs> handles, emails, you, 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 you got it, Scott. It's all, it's all uh, flipped over. We were uh, immediate on that. Okay, but let me, let me read off these cities here. You had Paris, of course, involved Vega 2024, but Budapest, Hamburg, Rome, this is a change in philosophy in the way the IOC does business because, in essence, and I don't think I'm overstating it here, they had to change. There just isn't the demand because of the cost that goes with hosting these games. Uh, you look, the, 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 they are definitely operating in a different environment than they did 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And, and Thomas Bach, the president of the IOC, is the first person to say that. He said, you know, these, these expensive, uh, long-drawn-out competitions uh, with drama and intrigue uh, around hosting a games were interesting and maybe even appropriate 30 years ago, and they're not today. Uh, and they recognize that. And so what having two games planned simultaneously in two great cities of the world allows them to do is a reset on the bid and the hosting process uh, with the context of stability. Uh, and so you will go from Paris to Los Angeles, and you probably won't award the 2032 summer games and, you know, maybe 2026, 25, 27, you know, you could shorten up that planning cycle. And that, that stability that we, we will provide them is really the basis for which they'll go, frankly, for the next 100 years. You hear these horror stories about other cities that hosted Olympic Games, Sochi, 
and, of course, the recent Rio games. And then you hear about all these stories about empty buildings and, and cost overruns. But Los Angeles seems to be, you know, for lack of a better word, immune from that. Uh, outside of, of course, the buildings are there. Why is that? Well, I mean, if you think about it, most people, uh, somehow the Olympics became an urban planning project as opposed to a project based on human human ability, human emotion, and sport, and the power that has to, to change people's lives. And, you know, most cities, when they decide to host Olympics, use it as an urban planning project and build all these stadiums. And then when the Olympics are done, they try and figure out what to use them for. Uh, with our, our model is totally different. We're actually paying these buildings to stop their normal everyday use so that we can have the Olympics for 17 days. You know, we're going to, we have a deal with UCLA, um, so there won't be summer school in the summer of 2028, so that we can have the Olympics because they house more students today than we're going to house athletes in 2028. Staples Center will be there in 2028, and as soon as we're done a month later, they'll have uh, the Kings, the Lakers, and the Clippers playing in that arena. Uh, as soon as we're done having opening and closing ceremonies in the new Rams and Chargers Stadium, a month later, uh, two NFL teams will begin their seasons. And so all those things are very normal in Los Angeles, and we're asking them to take a break so that we can have the Olympic Games, and then they can go back to their normal job. And the thing about having that many professional sports teams in this market and the competition that there is for the entertainment dollar means that those facilities always have to be the best of the best. And that's private operators investing private dollars to benefit the public. And we are a beneficiary of that as a host of the Olympic Games. Casey, can you give us some of the big brands that are going to be associated with the Games? Well, uh, we're, we're, not a, we're not in OCOG officially, and we're not allowed to sell sponsorships yet. But suffice to say, you know... Uh, I'm I guessing you've been out there talking to people, though. I think it's a pretty robust sponsorship market. The USOC has done a good job of laying that foundation, and, and we look to build on that. And I think uh, uh, American companies and companies from around the world will be excited um, to have an Olympic Games in Los Angeles. This market has only become more and more important. I mean, I would argue that uh, from a media industry, a tech industry, airlines, global trade, you know, 40% of the goods from China come through the port of L.A. to, to the United States. So L.A. is really one of the most important cities in the world, and I think we can provide an unbelievable opportunity for them to engage with the city for the next 10 years. People might not understand, though, what you just said. We're not OCOG member. Explain briefly, if you can, how Olympic sponsorship works, that there, there are some categories that they sell as the IOC that you can't touch, but some things you can do as well. Correct. So the IOC uh, sells what they call their top program. Those are sponsors who span uh, multiple games. Uh, some sponsors are in place through 2032. Some expire after 2024. There's a, a whole group, and there's about a dozen of them. Uh, and in those categories with those rights, they extend to all Olympic Games. So they would extend if they had a contract for the games in, in L.A. in 2028 and in Paris in 24 and probably Tokyo in 2020 as well as the Winter Games in, in between in Beijing and to be determined in 2026. And whatever categories uh, are unsold uh, revert back to uh, the games, so the local games. So our ability to sell those rights in those categories on a global basis uh, for exploitation through the games that will be in Los Angeles in 2028. So uh, much like in an NFL team, uh, the league has league-wide sponsors, and they take up categories that uh, the teams aren't allowed to sell, and everything else reverts to the teams, and the teams can sell those in their local markets. There has been minimal opposition to having the Olympics and the bidding process, but there was a group that thought, hey, this wasn't a democracy. But, I mean, I thought many other cities, especially uh, in the U.S., including Boston, were trying to bid for the Games. Why is there some minimal opposition to this? 
Well, look, L.A. loves its Olympic history, is proud of its Olympic history, and the, and the people of L.A. remember that and embrace that and, and want the Olympics to come back. I mean, we released a poll, our loyal Marymount released a poll um, that, that measured uh, 83% in support of 2028 Olympic Games. And so people in L.A. love the Olympics. Um, there There is uh, opposition. I think people... Uh, who oppose what we're doing don't completely understand, and and I'm of the belief, as is the mayor, big cities have to do big things. And uh, just because you uh, pursue and in this case have won the right to host Olympic Games doesn't mean there aren't other challenges that big cities in America and around the world have, and doesn't mean you can't do both. I mean, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, and this is a private venture, privately funded, privately operated, in partnership with the city of Los Angeles the state of California, uh, the federal government, the U.S. Olympic Committee, and the IOC. Uh, and just like 84, we intend to make that a great success. The new drinking game that's going to be made popular at UCLA and USC. Every time Casey Wasserman says private, everybody's going to have to drink a little bit. This is <laughs> Are you hammering home a point here, Casey? <laughs> well, it's unique. Uh, it is unique. I mean, we, you know, the USOC essentially is a private entity. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have any government support for our Olympic athletes, and we don't have any pro- public support for Olympic bids, and, uh, and we don't have the federal government, the state government, or the local government writing blank checks for the Olympic Games. We're going to deliver these games privately, and we think that's a, a competitive advantage in the day and place. Are the Olympics immune from what we're hearing about other sports where the TV audience might not be there? Are they immune because it's, of course, the once-every-four-year nature of it all? Uh, or... Is there sort of a diminution in interest in even the rings? Uh, look, I don't think anything is immune in this day and age, Scott, but I do believe that the the, the, the spectacle that is the Olympics uh, can have a unique way to break through and connect. Uh, but look, how we distribute the Olympic Games, how it gets connected with fans, what you do in the interim four years, all those things will continue to evolve and get better uh, and, and get sort of developed as the world changes dramatically. Uh, and so it's our job as stewards of the games, at least for uh, for one cycle in 2028, is to, to be steadfast on that because, you know, it's it's an important piece of our success. We had an article recently uh, in Bloomberg View that Los Angeles should just simply be the home of the games for good. Your thoughts about that? Uh, well, that's above my pay grade, but uh, certainly... Uh, <laughs> Certainly, we'd love to have the games uh, in Los Angeles as, as much as possible. We love the games. We're ready to host the games. Uh, we could host the games in uh, two months or in 20 years and, and every time in between. And so, obviously, they're not going to go to a permanent location for Olympic Games. I don't think that's anywhere in their thinking. But is there a world where you could go uh, have five global cities, six global cities that rotate so that, you know, every quarter century the games are back? Not a crazy idea and not inconceivable. Casey, the IOC loves to talk about legacy, and I'm assuming coming out of 2028, that's something you'd like to continue. Yeah, no question, right? Look, leg- leg- first of all, let's let's not forget, legacy is something that happens after the games are over. So uh, our, our job is to focus, although I will tell you with the agreement we have with the IOC, we'll be begin funding um, uh, universal access for youth sports in Los Angeles next year. So our legacy from 2028 will actually begin immediately. Um, but having said that, you know, our, our, if we do a good job, um, LA84 has no question set the bar, and, and our job and our goal is to uh, to build on that and create more success to the last generations uh, longer in Los Angeles. The last time LA hosted the Summer Olympics was 1984. What do you see are going to be some major changes from what happened in 84 to what's about to happen down the road in 2028? Well, look, obviously, uh, the city has developed. In 1984, Los Angeles was still building freeways. 
Uh, we've got 13 uh, public transportation metro rail lines under construction today, funded by Measure M, having nothing to do with the Olympics, funded by the a taxpayer vote uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, and that's a 40-year plan for the future of Los Angeles. And then you just take the growth, right? I mean, I think 85% of our venues are new from 84. So this is a new Olympic Games in, in what is really a new Los Angeles. Since you brought up freeways, I'll ask the question, how are people going to get around? I was just out in L.A., Casey. It took me two-plus hours to go from Santa Monica to Dodger Stadium. I was not happy. Well, first you were in L.A. and didn't call me, so that we'll have to deal with. Uh, <laughs> One day. So, One you're, day. so you're, in tr- you're in trouble for that. <laughs> Second, secondly is, you know, look, uh, every big city in the world has traffic. Let's, let's not fool ourselves. Uh, and certainly L.A. Um, has, has its traffic challenges. But, you know, if you ask people what their great memory of the 84 games was, the answer is no traffic. Uh, and the truth is, traffic actually is reduced during the Olympic Games because you can manage and control for things for 17 days that you can't control for uh, on a normal basis, on a daily basis in a city like Los Angeles or Paris or Tokyo or any other big city. We're talking with the head of the L.A. Bid Committee, Casey Wasserman. And I have to ask this, and I know I'm going away a bit from the Olympics, but one of the things about your history, you've been in the marketing business for a long time. 1998, you purchased the Los Angeles Avengers of the Arena Football League, and you were about 24 years old. You're a 24-year-old man, and you own a football team. You have to talk me through that experience. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think the phrase is, if, if I knew then what I know now. Um, <laughs> uh, look, it was, uh, it was an incredible opportunity um, uh, to really uh, get my Ph.D. in sports and really in, in a most hands-on way. I wanted to create and build my own reputation um, and earn it, good or bad. Uh, and I thought I'd see a lot of opportunities in the business of sports, but you couldn't really see those sitting on the sidelines. And so, you know, it was a, a great experience and uh, learned a ton of lessons um, and uh, very proud of what we accomplished with the Avengers and uh, certainly a, a fun chapter in my history. How did those lessons transfer over to trying to win the bid for the Olympics for 2028? Well, I mean, obviously, totally different uh, skill sets. But look, what we we had to do there was, is in some ways what we've done here, which is you build a team from scratch for a very specific goal. Uh, and the one thing that is 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 similar, I will tell you, is you know whether we liked it or not, uh, the 2000 uh, the year 2000 arena football season was going to start whether we were ready or not. And I will tell you, opening ceremonies will happen whether we're ready or not. And so having that date certain, uh, the one thing you can't buy more of is time, uh, will keep us focused for the next 11 years on the task at hand and make sure that we're ready uh, to welcome the world to Los Angeles. When all is said and done, Casey, how much money is going to go from the IOC to the LA Bid Committee? How much are they going to transfer? Well, uh, I mean, it depends on how you would calculate sort of what we could generate in a profit. But in our view, well over $2 billion. And that tells you what, in terms of, like you said, profit. You you are definitely saying this game; these games will be at least break even. Yeah, we we've budgeted uh, break even games with a half a billion dollar contingency. We think that's prudent. Uh, and you know, as if you go talk to Peter Uroth, who has been a mentor of mine for a long time, long before this process started, and has been incredible uh, in my life. Uh, he would tell you, look, they didn't know they had a profit in L.A. until the games were over. They had paid all the bills, and checks were still coming in. Uh, so. You know, it's after the fact. You everybody looks really smart and uh, looks like you uh, had this master plan to create a profit. The, the point is, if you operate well and, and keep focused, uh, you can put yourself in a position to produce that result. The mayor said the deal was too good to pass up. I get that. So you said, okay, 2028 for us, Paris 24. What was 
more appealing about 24 that both cities seemingly at the outset would have preferred 24 over 28? Well, to be clear, until July 11th, we were only allowed to bid for 24. Uh, this was a bid for the 2024 Olympic Games. It started with five cities and ended uh, with two. And what the IOC realized was that you had two incredible cities in the world with two great plans, obviously different but great. Uh, and this was a unique opportunity that they had to take advantage of to create this win-win-win opportunity. And um, I give them credit for taking on that. And, you know, in short order, after it was made an opportunity, uh, I think even Thomas Box said, look, the stronger bid is the one who can wait till 28. Uh, and we felt good about our positioning and our plan. I think LA is only going to be better and stronger in 2028. Uh, and I think the economics are really compelling. Casey, you represent a, represent a bunch of athletes, Olympic athletes, athletes as well at Wasserman Media. How are they going to capitalize on this? I mean, how can we predict whether it's social? Uh, what about the distribution of these games? Everybody knows we see the features on NBC at night. That's great. But there's so much more these days that these athletes can really do to promote themselves, as well as sign endorsements that are outside the Olympic rings? Well, a couple things. One, first of all, look at the best way to grow the Olympic sports and to go uh, Olympic sports in the United States is to actually bring the Olympic Games to the United States. So mission one is, is done. Uh, the Olympic Games are coming back to the United States. Secondly, um, you know, the world's best storytellers have always been in Los Angeles. And now um, um, the method for getting those stories connected with people are all in Los Angeles. You know, obviously Snap is, is here in L.A., but Facebook and, and YouTube uh, and, and Twitter uh, and Instagram, they all have big headquarters in Los Angeles uh, because that they know that the best content in the world is created from here. So you take the ability to grow an audience, the best storytellers in the world, the greatest athletes in the world, and it's going to prove, although hard to predict exactly how in 2028, uh, an incredible combination that I think should benefit the athletes significantly. It's hard to predict technology 11 years <laughs> from now. But, it, it, I mean, we might have like 3D vision coming to us in our own living room. But it, what about the, the streaming aspects uh, of bringing the Olympics to people now compared to the uh, regular television way? I mean, where do you see this going? Well, important to remember 11 years ago, uh, which is obviously the time frame we're talking about, the iPhone didn't exist. So good to have some context always as you think about these things. And I'm pretty sure that in sitting in Turin, Italy, for the Winter Games in 2006, no one could have predicted the world in 2017. So I'm not going to try and predict the world. Uh, and obviously NBC is in control of the U.S. broadcast rights and will still be that in 2028. Uh, but I'm certain that uh, the one thing that is universal is people's love of sport. And the one thing that technology allows um, um, is for direct connection with people who have direct passions. And so now being able to connect people's love of sport directly with the consumers who love it, I think it's going to be a big economic opportunity. And, you know, in the end, how that facilitates itself in 2028, none of us know. But if you were betting on things that are going to resonate in 2028, sports would be at the top of the list. Hey, who knows? Maybe in 2028 we'll be allowed to bet on these events if you want to talk about driving engagement. You, you, said, you said the word betting, not me. <laughs> yeah, well, don't get me in trouble. We haven't we we, we haven't become a bit an OCOG yet, but 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 it's coming. But it's coming. Um, when when it comes to the Olympics, Casey, where do you see the American appetite? What do you see as is it voracious? Is it casual? Where are we as an Olympic viewing country? Well, look, I think if you. If, the sort of the the heart and soul of of the American Olympic movement lives in the universities around this country. Um, there were more uh, female athletes on Team USA in Rio than there were male. That's a direct result of uh, um, 
the infrastructure of the universities and athletic programs in this country of Title IX, all things we're very proud of. So people love Olympic sports every day in this country. They're passionate about them. They play them. They participate in them. They're fans of them. They have people who who have participated who are friends. Uh, and so it's our job to uh, make sure we connect that passion on a day-to-day basis with the greater uh, values of, of the Olympic movement and Olympism and, and bring that to bear in 2028. Does it blow your mind? and we talked about 11 years down the road, does it blow your mind that the athletes who will participate in the Summer Olympics probably are, are right now playing in the backyard and are, are kids right now and, and probably won't even develop until they're ready to pursue that dream and getting those kids ready for the Summer Olympics in Los Angeles? You know, you know it's, it's a great point. The, uh, you know, the Williams sisters are a direct result uh, of the 84 games, the investments that the LA 84 Foundation made uh, in tennis in Compton produced tennis courts and <clears throat> and, a, and a structure that produced the Williams sisters. So I, I tell people all the time that, that there are future Olympians who will benefit from from the deal we just made uh, in Los Angeles today that will compete and and walk in uh, to the stadium in Los Angeles carrying the flag, uh, and that's an exciting thing to think about. Uh, you have to invest in people's future without a guarantee of what that future looks like, and, and we're excited to be able to do that. All right, that's Casey Wasserman, head of the U.S. Olympic Big Committee. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. My pleasure. Michael, I know my takeaway from this interview, simple, it's the one word. Private, private, private. <laughs> I don't know how many times Casey said it, but clearly his number one talking point is private investment. This is not going to cost the taxpayers of Los Angeles much, if any, money. My takeaway, it's 11 years from now. That has never happened before where a city has had 11 years to prepare for an Olympic event. And these games should be the most spectacular ever when you have that much time. He said it himself, time and money. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. And now our number of the week, 841 million. Michael Barr, the number in value that Forbes has attached to PSG. That's for 2017. That's now pre-Neymar. 841. What do you expect happens next? I thought you were talking about your paycheck. But when it comes to this and soccer, you're talking about a guy, Neymar, coming to a team that is going to just bring soccer, I think, finally, the, the prominence in the U.S. when people realize what this guy can do. When is the last time mainstream press, the New York Times, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, has been talking about Paris Saint-Germain as a soccer team. It's not that often, and everybody is talking about them now because of this Neymar transfer. He is a global star. He will enable them to export highlights, clips, onto the phones. Everything we talk about on this show every week, it's all about content. People will want to touch PSG. They're going to want to sell the shirts. They're going to want to get his bobblehead out there all around the world. For old schoolers, this is just like Pele way back in the day, three times fold. Brazil was so hesitant to let Pele go. True story, Henry Kissinger went to make sure he got on that plane and came to the U.S., and we know what he did for the North American Soccer League. That was the start of the soccer interest here in the U.S. 
You have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with some of the biggest names in the world of sports. 